Hello and Happy New Year to everyone. I'm Lenore Moudou. Welcome to Health Chat. It is my pleasure to join you for another year on health and wellness. On the program today, we will take a look at dwarfism. Dwarfism or restricted growth is a medical or genetic condition that causes people to be shorter than normal. There are more than 100 conditions that cause dwarfism with oncodroplasia, the most common form of dwarfism. The U.S. National Organization for Rare Disorders says about 80% of patients have oncodroplasia due to a genetic mutation. The other 20% of cases are inherited from a parent. We will have a moving testimonial from the president of the Short Stature Society of Kenya later on the program. But first, I spoke with Dr. Edward Kija, a pediatric neurologist in Tanzania. He tells us more about dwarfism. Dr. Edward Kija, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Would you please explain what dwarfism is and why a child is born with the condition? Dwarfism, or it's also been referred to as short stature, it's a condition which affects individuals um, which makes them abnormally short. Um, uh, if you compare with other individuals of the same age and of the same sex, and also possibly of a similar genetic background. So these individuals will be abnormally short. So individuals of, the, of, 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 of individuals usually have got uh, various um, heights and it varies within a particular age group and within a particular uh, gender or sex, if you want to call it. And there'll be a lower limit and there'll also be a higher limit. So individuals who are, have a short stature are abnormally short below the lower limit of the normal. And we usually measure that using centiles, and this will be below the 3.5 centile of the lower limit. And in that case, then we say these individuals are, 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 have a short stature. Now, there are many causes um, which leads to individuals having a short stature, and these are usually grouped into four main or four big categories. The first one is the genetics, which are, um, and the genetics are also grouped into two where we talk about conditions which affect a single gene, which can lead into an individual becoming uh, abnormally short, or disease condition which affects the whole chromosome, which may also lead to individuals becoming abnormally short. So that is the first group. The second uh, category which may lead to individuals becoming abnormally short are endocrine disorders. And these endocrine disorders, uh, which affect production of hormones, and other hormone-like factors which are the body uses or um, um, are important for the body to develop in terms of the height. And when individuals um, have got disorders or deficiency of these hormones, then it may also lead to these individuals being born abnormally short. The third category is um, individuals who uh, have got some nutritional deficiencies, which may either occur uh, in utero when the baby is not yet delivered or immediately after delivery. And this can also lead to these individuals becoming abnormally short. And the fourth category is uh, environmental factors. And these are also many environmental factors which can also lead to individuals becoming abnormal, uh, abnormally short. So there are various causes, but at the end of the day, it impairs growth and these individuals become ex abnormally short if you compare this, uh, with other individuals of uh, similar genetic background, similar sex, and similar age group. What is the medical prognosis of a person with short stature, and what medical conditions uh, can they develop? 
So, like I said earlier, that the causes of short stature are vary quite a lot, and the prognosis will really depend on what is the underlying cause of short stature for that particular individual. So, there are other conditions that lead uh, that cause short stature, which are also associated with other comorbid conditions, and these vary from cardiac conditions. There are certain individuals, for example, who have got short stature because of genetic condition like Turner syndrome, they may also have other cardiac and vascular conditions which might impair their quality of life. They may also have other conditions which may also affect their lung function because of being them being abnormally short. Uh, there are other conditions which might affect their renal functions and there are other conditions which might affect their development. And this may also have an implication in terms of cognition. It may have implication in terms of learning and in future it may also have implication in terms of their uh, economic, economic output. So it really uh, uh, underpins on what is causing that, um, uh, that, um, that short stature to determine the prognosis. But having said that, there are other conditions in which an individual is abnormally short, but that is not associated with any other comorbid conditions. And these individuals usually lead a quite normal life. Other psychosocial and psychological effects, which people who are abnormally short do experience in our society, they lead completely normal life. They they grow up, they go to school, and they lead um, a normal life like any other individual without any other associated comorbid conditions. How common is dwarfism in the African society? And what is the difference between someone uh, with dwarfism and uh, pygmies that are found in some places in Africa? So that's a very good question. So unfortunately, we do not have a very good data uh, to quantify how big the problem of dwarfism is in Africa. But if you look into the global data, it is estimated um, that at least four individuals out of 100,000 live births will have some sort of, um, of, of the cause of dwarfism, whether it's endocrine, whether it's genetic, whether it's metabolic, but some sort out of every 100,000 live births individuals will be, suffering, will, will be suffering from this. Now, coming to your second question, the difference between dwarfism and pygmies. So like I said earlier, there are a number of causes. Uh, if we can list, it might be even more than 100 different causes which may lead into dwarfism. And pygmies is a subset of all those causes. And they, they are speaking to pygmies specifically is in deficiency of a particular hormone which is required for growth. There's uh, some particular hormone which is called insulin growth factor 2, which is important for functioning of the growth hormone, which is also important for someone growing. So that those, um, unfortunately, uh, in those parts of Africa, because of genetic makeup, uh, that population have got deficiency of that particular hormone. And that's why um, uh, in that particular population, individuals are abnormally short because of that. Um, so that's the difference. So it's like pygmies is a subset of a large group of individuals who have got dwarfism. So individuals who have short stature can be delivered from parents who have got normal heights. Uh, it's, it doesn't mean that every individual who is born with a, short, uh, with a short stature, his or her parents also have to be short. You could have no, with normal height parents, and these normal height parents can deliver, can have a child who is born with, uh, with who is, who's got dwarfism.
it's possible. Is dwarfism considered a disability? And uh, what are some challenges? I know you touched on uh, on that, uh, saying that it depends on the sort of dwarfism, but is it considered a disability in general? In principle, not. It's not considered a, a, a disability, even though having said that, Individuals who are unfortunately abnormally short uh, do suffer a lot of other psychosocial problems. The biggest one being stigma, um, um, because in most communities, a normal height or a greater height is considered more acceptable in the society. It's also considered more appealing to the society. So an individual who is abnormally short, usually they suffer bullying at school. They also suffer from psychosocial trauma. They also suffer from, 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 from stigma. But if an individual does not have any other comorbid conditions which are caused by the underlying cause causing dwarfism, usually they are quite normal and they can do any other activity that any other individual who is not dwarf is being uh, will be able to do so in principle um it's not classified as 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 a disability unless that individual has other condition for example uh, there are some uh, individuals of got dwarfism is because of a, uh, of a, of a, of a metabolic disease affecting the bone um, like a chondroplasia or osteogenesis imperfecta and because of that they do suffer frequent fractures from very minor minor trauma and because of that they will be disabled because of those frequent fractures but not because they are abnormally short and uh, what can be done uh, to improve the life of uh, little people in africa so very good question so i think the most important is number one is the awareness uh, to raise the awareness because some of this can be prevented uh, with important um, screening particularly at birth for metabolic conditions they can be identified and they can be screened and prevented. Some which are caused by nutritional deficiency can also be prevented with adequate nutritional support very early on. But some of these conditions which are genetics, which cannot be uh, treated, then it's an important for awareness of people would understand why these individuals are abnormally short so that they can be, these individuals can be integrated into the community and accepted uh, and minimize self-stigma by individuals who are abnormally short, but also stigma from other people who might, um, who might see them as abnormal just because they are, they are very short. So is it fair to say that there are some uh, conditions that can be reversed to make someone grow taller? Yes, so definitely. So, for example, if you have a growth hormone deficiency and if it is identified early and these individuals are supplemented with growth hormone, then they can grow taller. They may not be one of the tallest child in the class, but they will be in the normal range, which, 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 could, be, which could make significant difference. So it's very important... Um, for, for early identification, and early identification can be done, number one, either through newborn screening, but also through growth monitoring screening, where a child can be identified as abnormally short very early on before all the other uh, consequences has happened. Fantastic. Dr. Edward Kija, thank you so much. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much. That was Dr. Edward Kija, pediatric neurologist in Tanzania. You are listening to Health Chat on Voice of America. It is time for a short break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Health Chat. Today we are discussing dwarfism. 
Joachim Wangi is the founder and president of the non-profit organization Short Stature Society in Kenya. He tells us more about some challenges faced by people with dwarfism and what can be done. Joachim Wangoi, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. You are the president and founder of Short Statue Society of Kenya. What is the mission and why was it important to start it? Okay, we started our organization back in 2012 because of the socioeconomic challenges we were facing in Kenya. As a little person, I've gone through a lot of challenges, rejection from the family, rejection from the society, and a lot of myths and uh, beliefs that they thought about our condition. And also access to like buildings in Kenya. And also we had a lot of stigma. That's why we started our organization. And our, our mission and vision is to create an environment which is friendly to every little person. When I say little person, I mean people living with dwarfism because we prefer us calling people, calling us little people than midgets or dwarfs. These are things that uh, people have to know. So it's good to be educated. Now let's talk about your personal experience. Uh, at what point did you realize that something was a bit different with you? I was born and raised up as any other child, uh, but when I was like five years old, that's when I realized a lot of my friends are growing and surpassing my height. And I was eating, I was, you know, doing everything that a child would do. I, I was taken to hospital. That Around five years, that's when I realized I could not grow taller. And then I started to ask myself a lot of questions. Why am I not growing tall? And nobody could tell me. My mom took me to hospital. They did a lot of research and everything, but the doctor was saying the child is okay. Little did I know that I have dwarfism. So what did the doctor explain to you? There are several types of dwarfism. Talk to us about that and what they say your case is. In Kenya, we don't have specific doctor who deals with children living with dwarfism. So most of the researches that they were doing, they could not tell me the type of dwarfism that I have. Until I came here in America like five years ago, that's when I they diagnosed me with pituitary dwarfism. And they told me the reason why I didn't grow tall was because I was born with my pituitary glands dead. So they could not produce the growth hormones which make a child grow tall and bigger you know, as they get older and older. But there are more than 200 types of dwarfism. Like when you see my pictures and you see the little people's picture, they are different because there are more than 200 types. But there are those which are most common, like achondroplasia. Like mine is not common. You will not find a lot of people who look like me. But there's a kind of uh, dwarfism called achondroplasia. That's the most common. A lot of people have it because it's genetical. So a lot of people, you know, who have that type of dwarfism, their children, they have that type of dwarfism. So there are, are those conditions which are genetical and those who, which are hormone like mine. When it comes to having access to care, do you have some specific health concerns? Because it was too late for me to, like, be given some hormone boosters. My type of dwarfism is controlled. So when a child is born with pituitary dwarfism, they are given hormone boosters and they regenerate growth hormones and they grow tall. Like, I'll give you a good example of Messi who plays in Argentina and Barcelona, you know, and 
PSG right now. He was born with pituitary dwarfism, but they gave him those shots. But in Kenya, because he's in Africa, you know, we are not well developed until now. They don't have those type of medication or machines to detect a child has this type of condition at birth, even when a child is in her mother's womb. So nothing much would have been done. Mostly my medical issues that I have is sometimes my bones are very weak, so I cannot lift something which is very, very heavy. Also, I don't think I have a lot of concerns in terms of health, but there are those people who are born with, like the ones I was telling you, the echodoplasia. Most of their legs are bored, so sometimes they need straightening. Uh, there are some people who have um, issues with their uh, sexual reproductive health. You know, there are some men who are born uh, with low libido just because of their type of dwarfism. There are some ladies. Actually, ladies is where there is a lot of medical issues because these people, they are so small. So, like, when they get pregnant, most of them, they cannot, like, carry pregnancy for nine months. And sometimes doctors who don't know, they take them through the normal labor and they have to go through a cesarean section, you know. So, like, we've lost a few members in Kenya giving birth because the doctors were not, like, they didn't give them the right information about their pregnancy. So they thought, okay, and then they end up, you know, losing their life at labor. So talk to us about the work of your organization, the sorts of challenges you are addressing on a daily basis. What are some of the challenges that a little person would be confronted with and how is your organization uh, helping to address them? Uh, there's a lot of challenges and some of those challenges are the ones that made me flee from Kenya and come here to look for a better you know, opportunities for them. But basically what we are doing in Kenya, let's say like the social challenges. When you leave your house, you're going to work, there's a lot of challenges. First of all, at, uh, getting into those public vehicles, you know, they are so high, somebody has to lift you. Some of the offices, you know, when you want to go to a counter, it's so high, you cannot even access the services well. For us men, we have a problem accessing public toilet, like that thing where we go to urinate, you know, the ball is so high. They even don't consider children, not only us, now even children, how will they use that thing? You know, those are some of the challenges that we face. There are some people who will not give us jobs because they will undermine us. You know, they will think we cannot do certain jobs. Because of those challenges and even rejection from the society, we have members who have even run from their community because, you know, the communities think they are bringing bad things or bad luck in their community. So they have to go and look for a place where they can get refuge. In schools, we have a lot of bullying. You know, our children are going through a lot of bullying. Like I remember myself, my first day in high school was the worst day in my life. I cannot even forget. Like I went to school in the morning. I was admitted. So we went to class. My new school uh, classmates, they, you know, they were like, nobody wanted to sit close to me. And then when it came to break time, the whole school, they all came to our class to, to stare at me. I was so scared. I, I don't even want to remember. It was the worst day of my life. But then after that, you know, when the teacher told them about me, that's when now they started to embrace me. So it has to start with a lot of awareness. You know, we are doing a lot of awareness, media, you know, when we get an opportunity like here, you know, we get to tell the community about those things that we feel like they don't need to do to us, you know, and also to tell them what we can do to the society because we also have our own things and gifts that we can use to help the community.
they think that little people, they should all be comedians, clowns. People can be doctors, teachers. You know, we can do everything. Yeah, so in our organization, we have like a, a thousand members right now in Kenya. We started just like 10 people. Right now we've grown, you know, we have uh, we have divided ourselves into different counties because in Kenya we have 42 counties. So in every county we have a group, you know, they meet monthly or annually, they do their own activities. And then we usually have uh, a national meeting every October uh, because October is a dwarfism awareness month globally. Basically that's where we are in terms of awareness. Now people have started to recognize us and uh, we took advantage of the media, you know, to, to when they, whenever they want to interview us, we are there, we tell our stories and then we get to tell stories of people who have dwarfism that have already made it in life, you know, to give other people's hope. So finally, uh, Joel Kim, what is your message? What do you think that people need to know about uh, little people? We are just normal as you, and it's actually you people who reminds us we are short. When you stare at us, when you laugh at us, you know, like here in America, when I'm going through in the, in the groceries, you know, and you hear people laughing at me, and I'm like, why are they laughing at me? And then I remember, oh, I'm sure. Because inside me, I'm just normal as you. You know, I can do everything like you. I usually drive. You know, I have a family. And everything else is okay till now when people see me differently. I don't want them to see me differently. I want them to see me just as the way they see other people who have average height. Joe Kim Wongui, thank you so much for your testimony. We appreciate your time. You're welcome, and thank you so much for the opportunity. That was Joachim Wangi, founder and president of Short Stature Society of Kenya. People with dwarfism grow no higher than 4 feet 10 inches. From navigating shopping centers to government offices, South Africa's little people say public spaces are not designed to be accessible for them. One advocacy group in Johannesburg is calling for better support to help people live independently. For VOA, Linda Givetesh has this report. Different, abnormal, and very small. Those are just some of the words Olivia Radebe says have been used to describe her in her recently published memoir. The 27-year-old writer says her late grandmother encouraged her to persevere with her studies and with living independently, and she has. But Radebe says she still faces practical challenges navigating life in Johannesburg. You cannot uh, ask help and not pay someone, you know, because I'm not on a permanent job. And also the money that I get from the government is not enough to, st- to sustain me to that certain level whether I can afford to pay everyone and anyone. Like, it's a bit of a challenge. So in other ways, I have to beg someone to help me. There are hundreds of conditions that cause restricted growth, achondroplasia being the most common, a genetic condition that results in short arms and legs. Redebe was never diagnosed as a child. Now, she says it would be too costly to go to a private specialist to find out. Redebe says she sometimes wonders what her underlying health issue is. Because at a later stage, I might be having other complications. So if I was diagnosed earlier, maybe I would have known that, um, okay, fine, in 10 years' time I should expect this, I should live like this. There are certain things that I need to, to avoid in order for me to have a long life. Specialized care isn't evenly available across the country. Parents have to look to big cities like Cape Town and Johannesburg to find the best resources for their children who show signs of restricted growth. Our 
hospitals in areas like uh, impoverished areas where there's a day hospital. So a parent will go and uh, take the child, but the, the nurses, the doctors are not aware of the condition that the child has. Raising awareness about people with dwarfism is one of the main reasons why Pietnell established the nonprofit Short Statured Persons South Africa. That we can share ideas and come together and also that the public can know what we are about. The 57-year-old says he struggled with accessibility and discrimination throughout his life. Nell says the organization gives people like him more power to advocate for themselves and their unique needs. That's why they say nothing about us without us. You can't talk for us, we must talk for ourselves. Like I say, we must stand together and fight for our rights. And the country, he says, is starting to listen. Nell's group met with South Africa's social development minister to discuss their health and reproductive needs that go unaddressed. He hopes it will be the first step toward bringing more support within their reach. Linda Giftash for VOA News, Johannesburg. Health authorities in southeastern Nigeria are worried that despite the surge in new cases of coronavirus, Omicron variant, residents are refusing to wear masks and are not socially distancing. Officials fear an explosion of new cases as the Christmas and New Year holidays end. For more, VOA's Chinedu Ofo reached a reporter Munachi Chalks in Oweri, Imo State. Take a listen. Yeah, I've been able to move around. I actually visited uh, some shopping malls, event centers, parks, and the recreation parks. And I saw a lot of people there without their masks on. And uh, very few, you can count the number of people that were wearing their masks. And they were, they were seen as outcasts, like people make jests of them. Why are you wearing masks? They, are, they can ask you that, yes, because there's no, nothing like COVID. Most Nigerians still don't believe that there's COVID, that COVID exists. So that's what I saw in the shopping malls and the event centers that I, I was able to visit. And what about health facilities, the government health centers? What is the situation there? It's still a celebration period. The Christmas period is over and this is the New Year season. So most of them, most of the government clinics or hospitals that closed, I think they are on break, so to say. So um, few people are there. Few people are there, mostly people that have been on admission. And I didn't see any center actually where they call vaccination centers. Those centers, vaccination centers, are closed as well because of the Christmas and New Year break or holiday season. So what are the authorities saying? Because there are fears that there will be an explosion of new Omicron or coronavirus cases as the New Year rolls in. Yeah, there's this surge of COVID-19 in Nigeria, as we know, and uh, Nigeria entered the fourth wave of the pandemic. And it's actually ravaging, ravaging the country. And uh, the government... They will tell you that they've made provisions of um, people to get vaccinated. But one thing I notice here, my observation is this. I listened to radio stations, TV stations I watched. There wasn't any adverts or hype or jingles on uh, where you can get vaccinated, the vaccination centers. Which A few people that I interviewed told me that they don't even know where to get their jabs. So there's not much awareness out there in this part of Nigeria, the eastern part. That's what I found out.
A few months ago, the Nigerian government destroyed more than a million doses of the COVID vaccine. And for what you just told us, there are those who have not received the vaccine or those who don't know where to get the vaccine. Any explanation as to why vaccines have been destroyed when there are people who don't have uh, even their first shot? Yes. The authorities I interviewed earlier in Abuja, they told me that those vaccines were expired. And that's the reason they gave and reason they uh, destroyed them. So most Nigerians are now saying that that means all the vaccines that uh, people have been taking, you know, were expired vaccines. So and that gives others room not to take the vaccine, to, you know, to give excuses that the vaccines that are being given to Nigerians were expired vaccines. But the government has they've come out to, you know, say that that's not true. They found out that those vaccines that they destroyed were expired. That was the reason they destroyed them. So not to give it to Nigerians. But like I said earlier on, I think uh, there should be more awareness, especially in this part of the country. People rarely wear their masks. People rarely observe the COVID-19 protocols, things like um, maintaining social distancing in crowded places. There are lots of parties still ongoing at this period. And you see lots of people in these crowded places without their masks on or showing evidence that they've been vaccinated before entering into this gathering. That's all for this edition of Health Chat. For the latest news and coverage on the coronavirus pandemic, visit voanews.com. Thank you so much for joining us and thanks to all our affiliate stations for carrying Health Chat throughout Africa. I'm your host, Lina Mudu in Washington with producer Dan Brown. Until next time, take care, strive to make every day a healthy day. Hi, I'm Kim Lewis. Join me and a panel of journalists as we discuss the top stories of the week, including the House Select Committee's investigation into the January 6th attack on the Capitol is in full force as the U.S. marks one year since the deadly riot rocked the nation. Don't miss issues in the news this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America.